This week on the podcast, we focus on Arthur C. Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. And it seems like there's a different, radically different interpretation of Sherlock Holmes in every generation. And I think that says a great deal about the character, but also the generation that he rises up to mirror. My name is Daniel Stashauer. Uh, I'm an author, a Baker Street Irregular, and a Sherlock Holmes enthusiast. You know, years ago, when I was starting out as a writer myself, um, my first book was a Sherlock Holmes pastiche. And I was uh, 22 years old when I started writing it. But in order to write a Sherlock Holmes story myself, I had to imagine myself as Dr. Watson. And I tell you, by the time I got through the first page, I had come to understand an awful lot about narrative voice and how the voice in which an author chooses to tell a story can be as important as the story itself. And Conan Doyle was was an absolute genius at this, not only in, in Sherlock Holmes, but in a lot of his uh, other work. Holmes says, I'm lost without my Boswell. And I think in some ways this is literally true. Watson is like a piece of smoked glass that allows you to look at a solar eclipse. The voice in which a story is told uh, has a great deal to do with the way the reader interacts with it. And you think about that throughout many uh, cornerstone books, The Great Gatsby, The Catcher in the Rye. It's about the narrator. It's about the voice. And Conan Doyle wrote a lot of books, and there are some that we admire, but there are others that we truly love. And Sherlock Holmes is one of them. And I think Conan Doyle's best work is distinguished by his extraordinary skill at finding the best possible narrative voice. And I'm thinking of Edward Malone in The Lost World or um, Etienne Girard in The Adventures of Girard. But above all, Dr. Watson. The reader can easily put themselves in Dr. Watson's shoes. We may want to be Sherlock Holmes, but we recognize that to some extent all of us are Dr. Watson. Conan Doyle honestly seems to have believed that detective fiction belonged to a lower, humbler plane of fiction. And he clearly believed that he was capable of better things. And he wrote a lot of other things. He wrote plays, he wrote novels, he wrote historical romances, he wrote poetry. But it was really in the detective stories and in uh, some of his other books that he was looking forward, that he was breaking new ground. Whereas a lot of the work that he valued, that he placed ahead of Sherlock Holmes and some of his other work, were backwards-looking uh, uh, things, historical romances in the tradition of Walter Scott and other writers, attempts to recapture a previous age. And I don't think, at, at times anyway, I think there were times in his career where maybe he himself didn't appreciate the extent to which he had opened a new door, uh, a new pathway moving forward with Sherlock Holmes. Obviously, it was a very different world when he started writing the Sherlock Holmes stories, but he gave a great deal of thought to um, to, to how the stories were going to get out there. You know, he, he had written Sign of the Four and Study in Scarlet, and they'd been published in the, to, to no great fanfare, and then Strand Magazine emerged on the scene. And this was, uh, for the time, a very modern type of magazine, what turned out to be a very good magazine, driven by 
great storytelling and also um, terrific images. Uh, I, at one time, they, they spoke about there was going to be an image on every page. Conan Doyle, uh, looking back on it later, said that he had this idea that if he could do a series of stories featuring a central character, but that were self-contained, complete in each issue, it might bind the reader to that magazine, but the reader wouldn't necessarily feel left out if they had missed a particular issue of the uh, of the magazine. So, in, in, for instance, instead of telling a serial story, you know, a, a serial novel, uh, the, the way Dickens had, he would do self-contained short stories uh, that were featuring the characters of Holmes and Watson, but you'd get the whole story in each issue. And hopefully you'd want to read the next issue, even though uh, understanding the uh, the story wasn't dependent on it. Uh, Conan Doyle had chosen his influences very, very wisely when he sat down and began to uh, create Sherlock Holmes. He was a, a physician. He was a doctor. He'd gone to medical school uh, in Edinburgh, and he'd had many distinguished professors. Chief among them was an instructor named Joseph Bell, who had this talent, this uh, knack for applying observation, the sort of what we today would recognize as the, the Sherlock Holmes method of, uh, of, of deduction to patients who came in. Bell was able to tell at a glance not only uh, the nature of the patient's complaint, but also a great deal about that person's life. Just by observing these small details about their about their person, the callus on a thumb or a, a block of mud on the shoe. A mystery writer may know where what the mystery is or who the killer is, but they they take different paths to get there. They structure it. They they bring in different elements that include character, narrative incident, rising and falling action, all these different things that hook and hold our interest. And Conan Doyle was a master at that. And somewhere in his memoirs, a book called uh, Memories and Adventures, he talks about the problems of writing Sherlock Holmes stories were once you had come up with the clever central spring mainspring that made the plot work, you then had to structure your story so that it wasn't obvious, so that it would work, so that it would hold the reader's interest the, the necessary amount of time, but you would conceal the workings of that mainspring until the critical moment when you needed to let it spring. He was terrifically good at that, but that is the challenge that any mystery writer faces. In, and in that way, it is similar to a magic trick. When a magician does tell you how the trick is done, you're always disappointed. The enjoyment of a magic trick has nothing to do with knowing how it's done. It's the skill, the craft, the showmanship of how the effect is performed. And it's the same with mystery stories. And that's something Conan Doyle understood. I've read The Hound of the Baskervilles, I couldn't tell you how many times. And it's not because I've forgotten who killed Henry Baskerville. It's because I want to see Sherlock Holmes work. I want to live in that world again. I want to be at Baskerville Hall. And I want to feel that shiver run up and down my spine when I hear the famous line. Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound. That has nothing to do with who done it. It's the experience. It's the skill. It's the wit. It's the craft. It's the atmosphere. And when all those elements come together in just the right way, that's where the magic happens. And Conan Doyle was 
as good at it as anyone who has ever lived. I think one thing that, to bear in mind is the way that uh, Sherlock Holmes seems to have had a gift for looking at things from different angles, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. You know, there's a famous illustration of him having thrown himself down on the ground to examine the ground, to look at each blade of grass individually instead of just as a as a field, as a smooth hole. And you see this again and again in the stories. Watson uh, looks at something, he sees it one way, but there's clearly something that uh, Sherlock Holmes is seeing by looking beyond the surface. There's a scene in one of the stories uh, where Holmes asks Watson um, if he happens to know how many steps there are leading up to the flat in Baker Street. Watson has been up and down those steps you know, thousands of times, but he doesn't know how many of them there are. And Sherlock Holmes famously says, I think it's here that he says it, he says, you see, but you do not observe. And I think that holds the key to his, his approach, not just looking, but observing, taking it in visually, obviously, but making connections that are beyond what your eyes are taking in taking it the next step, building like blocks, one step after the other, like those steps leading up to Baker Street, so that it takes you to another level. And that was something that Sherlock Holmes taught himself to do at a glance, instinctively. He sometimes said, it's difficult for me to explain it to you. It's like a magician explaining it's his tricks. It no longer seems miraculous. And uh, to me, it's so much second nature that it's actually difficult to go back and construct the steps in the chain. He is often uh, portrayed as the as the man who hated Sherlock Holmes, uh, but that's an oversimplification. You know, it is certainly true that there were times when he got tired of of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, obviously, this is uh, best exemplified by the decision to kill him off and drag him over the Reichenbach Falls. But at various times in his career, uh, he was able to strike a conciliatory note and say that he had not in actual practice found that Sherlock Holmes had limited him in any way. He said he didn't think he could have done more. He just felt that he had stood in the way of recognition of his other work, which was unquestionably true. Uh, but the thing that I always come back to when I think about that, Conan Doyle was only 26 years old when he created Sherlock Holmes. How many of us would want to do the work that we were doing at age 26 for the rest of our lives? There has to be a reason why this character has survived all this time and why each generation seems to come to him and reinvent him. You know, you look at the original interpretations of, um, of Sherlock Holmes, and I'm thinking of like William Gillette on stage and Basil Rathbone in the movies. And it's very, very different from things that followed, especially things today where you've got, obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Robert Downey Jr., but, but lots of other, other things. And that that's, has a great deal to do with each generation rediscovering elements of these stories and projecting their own concerns, interests, enthusiasms and fears onto the character of Sherlock Holmes so that something different emerges each time. And it seems like there's a different, radically different 
interpretation of Sherlock Holmes in every generation. And I think that says a great deal about the character, but also the generation that he rises up to mirror.